0: It uh, turns out that uh, last week I apparently released a huge elephant in the room and just left it hanging out there. I, uh, I I was really blessed by some of the interaction I had in the foyer. There was some real theological reflection going on, some people thinking deeper about what was being said in the morning, which is awesome. But also... There was just one other thing that was like a stone in the shoe that just wouldn't go away. I put a photo up last week that I had, um, that I had this dodgy old pergola. And I talked about how it was not standing freely and I talked about how um, those uprights, if you leaned against them too much, would have fallen over and, uh, and how nothing was nailed down on that thing. I don't know how it survived This thing was built in the early 80s. I don't know how that thing stood. Um, uh, And everyone's gone, amongst all the theological reflection, what happened afterwards? Where's the finished product? (laughs) So, for your eyes only, just for the sake of it, here it is. Alright? Alright, it went from that to that. (laughs) Alright? So... (laughs) Things changed, it looks pretty at night, different colour, it's very functional, and um, I don't know where we'll park a car anymore. But that's another story. (laughs) Right, so there you go. If I haven't invited you for lunch yet, well, that's kind of the venue, we'll get there eventually. We're now going to get back to our own building journey. And uh, we've got a bunch more people here today, there's visitors being a long weekend, And uh, we've got some of our uh, JMA guys back. We've got Pete. It's like all of a sudden, come March, we're finally hitting our stride as as far as getting into the swing of things in the year ahead. And um, for those who are catching up here, we're in the seventh week of a series titled Under Construction. We are looking at a life that is built in stages with 2nd Peter chapter 1 verse 3 to 11 being the inspiration of the journey that is going to take us through the year. February was all about faith. The building stages in this text are faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and eventually love. But February has been all about faith. We told a story over that month of faith being a foundational thing in us, hence the flooring. And uh, we talked about conviction being evidence that our faith could be something that we can build further on. When our faith cures to conviction, well then you have something you can stand on, you can jump on, you can bounce on, put the full weight of it on. And uh, I did that with full confidence, knowing just how well this thing's been built. March is all about goodness. We're beginning to present this idea as a frame, which provides a sort of shape for our lives. Goodness, the way the Bible describes it, is actually a rather limited commodity in the world around us. But when built on faith and conviction, goodness becomes a very powerful expression in us. And in the power of the Spirit, you and I have the potential to show the world just how true goodness can be lived out. We learned last week that goodness in the original Greek translates as moral excellence. Moral excellence is not perfection. Perfection is what we anticipate, perfection is coming, but perfection is not fully attained this side of life. If you think you're perfect, you think you've arrived, guess again. But there is a journey of transformation going on in us, and moral excellence is the best expression of that. Excellence can be pretty much described as our very best, or our personal best. To explain this a little more, and to give us something to remember out of all this, last week I've actually presented you with half of a thing I call a goodness equation. Moral excellence was understood to have two significant strands uh, when that word was used in, in the Greek. When you bring those two things together and you partner with the Spirit, you get a really strong thing happening here. The first part of the equation we looked at last week was the area of excellent character. Moral excellence starts with having excellent character, which is what this part is. We've got character starting to form on our frame here. We were challenged to consider the inner workings of our being. What's really going on on the inside? Who you are when no one's watching is the old cliche. The person who created that cliche didn't live up to it. Sidebar. We were called to continually allow the Lord to search the inner part of us. To expose those things needing attention. And to not sell out to the lesser expression of worldly charisma. We were asked to get more comfortable with the audience of one rather than the praise of many, and this has been something that has created a lot of reflection. We can live in, we can bask in the praise of many, can't we? I can, I can, wor- I can work really well. I can be a good po- politician. I can be a good, engaging, nice, warm person when I'm not the introvert hiding in a corner somewhere. I can put on the smiles, I can do all the right things, and I can win people over, and I can have everybody speak well of me, but I can ignore the one audience that really matters. I can forget about the audience that really matters. The audience of one, the only audience that really matters in all this. The audience who searches my character not just applauds my charisma. We were challenged to consider the things we're allowing to feed our characters. To ask ourselves, are they the best things going in to our characters, making us who we are? Another line I threw in there last week did trigger some consideration there. Scripturally speaking, the input of our characters is actually more controllable than what comes out. What comes out of us is actually the inevitable result of what we've allowed to go in. What comes out of us is the inevitable result of what we've allowed to go in. Today, I'm going to complete the equation, and uh, after I've done this, we have some excellent thinkers in line for us. Chris Spence is up next week, and his ideas on goodness are excellent. Um, Ian Brown will be the week after, and his ideas on goodness are really excellent as well. We're in for some really good input from two other speakers after this, but today, I'm going to complete the goodness equation. And I'm going to start with some things Jesus said first. And I'm just going to go around a few Bible verses today. Um, the UVersion Bible app is also open for the events. I should have mentioned that sooner. Um, but there's notes in there in Bible verses that I'm referring to in that as well. Matthew 15. Jesus says this, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. Now, obviously, there was context that Jesus was speaking into there, but he does address the heart rather than the outward show here. I'll revisit one from last weekend, Luke 6.45. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. On one front, moral excellence appeals to our character. The stuff that is fed into our hearts... But eventually, Jesus reveals to us here that the elements of our character will eventually make their presence felt. Out of our hearts, through the escape hatch of our mouths, there will be action. You can't keep who you really are contained in a space like the heart. The heart is too much of a leaky vessel and we all pretty much wear our hearts on our sleeve in some way or another, right? As we consider the reach of moral excellence, we learn that it speaks into this part of us also. Let me... Here's one I prepared earlier. Yes, I did. So we know that first up, moral excellence, arete in the Greek, speaks into excellent character. It speaks into the inner workings of us. are really long screws. I'm not done yet. Moral excellence starts with excellent character. And then after that, moral excellence then speaks into excellent conduct. Moral excellence is excellence of character and it is excellence of conduct. Excellent. Come on, work with me. Excellent. And excellent. Awesome. Awesome. It's an equation. It's like math. It's like rote learning here. Now, because Jesus, through his spirit, is transforming us from the inside out, It's actually fair and reasonable that he would expect this to be the outcome. The salvation journey is a transformative one. Jesus doesn't just come into our heart and just leave us and sit and forget. We don't say a prayer and go, that's it, eternity's stitched up, I go to heaven, everything's sweet, and I'll just sit around and not be any different. No, Jesus transforms us because we're anticipating something that is still to come. We saw this begin to play out last week in, 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 with Paul in Philippians 8. He, this is a verse we looked at last week, but I want to complete the story a bit. He writes, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable... If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Consume your thoughts with these things. He gives that local church a list of the best things to be putting into their characters here. Noble things, right things, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy things. If we instead dwell on angry things, we dwell on bitter things, cynical things, greedy, selfish things, then our characters are going to take a hit, aren't they? If that is our thought process, if that is where our mind goes to by default, then our characters will suffer for that. But if we take our thought life to these things, you really can't go wrong. The very next verse, Paul writes this, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put in a practice and God, the God of peace will be with you. So on the back of feeding their own character well and using his own character and conduct as an example, Paul points to excellent conduct being a natural outcome of how faith plays out. Think on the good things, think on the best things and put into practice the best things as modelled by other people around us who are also behaving in the best way. Questions right there, do we have someone in our life that we can model off of? Do we have someone who lives excellently in our lives? Not just talks excellently, excellently, but lives excellently. Do we have people not to compare ourselves with, but to, be, to look to them as inspiration for how we live? Some call it mentoring, others simply just by Christian example. Do we have those in our life? We need them. In Galatians 5, he shows us that a life in the Spirit bears fruit. In other words, there's an outward expression, a certain conduct that emerges naturally from us when we are letting the Spirit work in our character. When the Spirit is transforming us, good things escape from us, and these become tangible expression. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these all affect the outward expression of our faith. These are healthy outward things. These are the best outward things. They come from the Spirit. How can they be anything less than? And that is what excellent conduct is made up of. So Paul has made a good case to show that the Spirit is very much involved in all this. This is not, again, again, this is not a sermon about try harder. This is not about you gritting your teeth and <clears throat> let's do you know. This is about the Holy Spirit working and transforming in our lives. Simply through his grace, this becomes possible. We then see more generally that excellent conduct is an expected reality amongst all the churches. There's a number of examples of this, but there's one I'm going to point to here because it's actually instructional without pointing fingers, and I like those ones. Ephesians 5. Take note of the things I read out here as you go. For of this you can be sure, he writes, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes invisible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. When walking in step with the Spirit, our conduct will change for the better. And it will cause us to stand out from the world around us. And I believe this needs to, because in the world outside our windows, the excellent conduct of God's people deeply matters. We could all agree that it matters in our personal being. Start with ourselves. You know, revival starts with ourselves, right? That's, you know, let it start in us. Well... Looking in the mirror, working out where we're at with the Lord. Sometimes we do that and we ponder our walk with God and wonder if we're really hitting the mark with Him at times. Sometimes the person in the mirror is a pretty harsh judge, straight back at us, right? And we can kind of be left wondering, oh man, I know how much of a worm this guy in the mirror really is. Am I hitting the mark? In those times where we doubt our relationship or our place of favour with God, conduct actually helps us ask better questions and bring answers. If you're asking this about other people, are they getting any further forward in their faith? Conduct helps us answer these questions a little bit. What's different about me in a tangible way is a good question to ask yourself. Before drawing judgment, what's different about them in a tangible way? Is it different because I did that? Or is it different because God did? Am I who I am because I tried harder? Or am I who I am because Jesus is transforming me? If we ask ourselves those questions as believers, the enemy wants to send doubt in our way, but if we ask those questions, I believe you'll find through discernment that the answer will always be the latter. Yes, Jesus is doing something new in you. And our conduct will be a very good indicator of how that works. Our conduct matters to those around us. It matters in our families. It matters to our employers. It matters, obviously, in the church, and it definitely matters around our whole community. The journey of the kingdom of God is a journey towards wholeness. And our excellent conduct plays a key role in showing what that looks like. And our excellent conduct, obviously, also matters to God. Not only for our well-being, but for His glory. In Titus, Paul writes that good conduct will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive in every way. I don't know about you, but I want God to be attractive because of the way I live. Too many times I'm hearing headlines of the conduct of Christians out there and how it does the very opposite when it comes to how people view God. But I know my conduct actually demonstrates something about the attractiveness of the God that works in us. Particularly when I know it's done through grace. Particularly when I can admit that I am not better because I'm better. I'm better because Christ is better. In Peter's letter, he speaks of our conduct in Christ bringing to shame any accusation by the world against us. simply put, excellent conduct, which is basically all of our behaviours that are subject to Christ, will cause the world to stand up and take notice, not just of us, but of Jesus. So, I'm now going to bring all this together and I'm going to present the end of my goodness equation. Peter writes to add goodness to an already cured and convinced faith. Goodness is moral excellence. And moral excellence plays out in two distinct ways. Excellent character plus excellent conduct. This will be the frame once Chris and Ian complete it in the next two weeks. And on this frame, all the remaining traits, all the remaining virtues are going to be built. Between faith and goodness, a lot of weight gets placed on these two stages. We know we can start building with things like knowledge and perseverance and godliness and eventually love on this thing when the two elements, character and conduct, are in equal and excellent shape. That get on the microphone, did it? When character and conduct are in excellent shape, something special happens. The same word used in construction is the same word used in a believer's life. Integrity. When our excellent conduct is, is is there, when our excellent character is there, this thing can be structurally sound enough to put a lot of weight on it and to stand on it. This will be a whole lot more steadier next time. But this thing will have structural integrity. And when our faith get solid and when our conduct and our character get equal to each other, when they're in good standing, when we practice what we preach, we become people of integrity. Not because we are better, but because Christ is transforming us. (coughs) Integrity is confidence that you can stand under load or duress. Life gets heavy. Things get dumped on us all the time. How many know that? Pressure is part and parcel with life. And how we respond to that shows whether we have integrity or not. If integrity is not there, we do silly things. When marriage pressure comes, people without integrity consider other less than stellar options. Let's just say that. When emotional pressure comes, we explode and we can hurt others. When financial pressure comes, we consider dodgy schemes or unsafe debt. Integrity is apparent when pressure comes our way and we hold up despite its effort. Integrity fails when we cave into it. The pillars of integrity are excellent character and excellent conduct. If one of both of these pillars crack, integrity will fail. So friends, are we walking in integrity? Our recent pressures may indicate the reality of that answer. Have you had pressure recently and how did you go with it? And if it broke us rather than made us, what elements of either our character or our conduct need a bit of work with the Spirit doing what He does in us? And if there's work to be done, where do we start? If goodness is not in action the way we th- th- believe it is, if the integrity has, is damaged, where do we go? What do we do? I've seen all sorts of approaches to this. I've seen people simply just praying, God, I'm going to try harder next time. We've had people seek to be, you know, find the elders, lay hands on them, get a quick Holy Spirit moment where hopefully this will set you up for a lifetime of victory. We have accountability groups. We've got courses to sit. We've got new disciplines to grab. They're all helpful things. But the answer to damaged integrity is actually a whole lot simpler first. The very first place we all need to go for biblical goodness, it's a no-brainer, it's at the foot of the cross. Let me show you some thoughts with you. I actually want to play with Isaiah 53 a little bit here, verse 4 to 6. And I'm winding up with this. which just so happens to be extensively quoted in the New Testament, speaking of Jesus, right? In modern talk, we often just simply say that Jesus died for our sins. But this passage offers us a much more poetic picture of how that goes down. It speaks of all sorts of brokenness, being brought to wholeness, which is really cool. It also speaks poetically of blood dealing with both transgression and iniquity. Both of these things are words for sin, but in different ways transgression is actually the easier of the two to define because it speaks of action and has distinct references if you break one of the 10 commandments if you took moses law and deliberately broke it and people you know and you did that and did so in spectacular fashion well clearly you have transgressed and people understood transgression as being things that were noticeably and tangibly wrong Iniquity has been defined a few different ways. In one sense, it speaks of hidden sins. The things we do in private, which needs to be brought to light to be dealt with. In this sort of thinking, pride is an iniquity. Lust is one. Greed. These things. If we can go a little bit further, things like David and Bathsheba where he did everything he could to cover his tracks, could also be, well, it's clearly transgression, but also his attitude towards it forms iniquity as well. Another way to describe iniquity is simply what we're capable of doing. Our very nature of sin. The poetic picture states that the servant will be pierced, externally broken for external brokenness and bruised or crushed, internally broken for internal or hidden things. Some people here are very good at making our conduct look really squeaky clean. But right now, you would actually probably say in your heart of hearts, Cam, if you really knew what I really was, you really knew what I really was, yeah, you'd see something less than stellar. Other people are working like mad on just dealing with their hearts, but it's just, there's a break, a breakdown between this and this. In my heart of hearts, I'm putting all the right things, but I still just cave and my conduct fails. Both those things can be met at the cross. Jesus' death on the cross and his blood that was shed there ministers to the brokenness of both our conduct and our character. The only road to wholeness in either of those things, friends, the only way to true integrity is by coming back to the cross. Because only there will you find the ability to add goodness. So as we come to the end of this message now, as we reflect on the state of goodness in our lives, we're simply going to do that, no fancy formulas, but simply just coming back to the cross. The cross of Christ firmly in our sights as we do this. Let's reflect for a moment, and we're going to bow in prayer in one moment. And as we do that, I'm going to ask... That psalm that we quoted last week, Search Me, O God, do that again. And allow the Spirit to call to mind not just who we really are, but also how we've been. And let's go back to the cross this morning with those things clinging to its power, clinging to the wholeness that we can all find there. there's no integrity, if it is damaged, let's start by going back to the cross this morning. Let him start that transformation work again. Let's continually go onwards and upwards in the power of the spirit and in the redemption of the cross. Let's bow our heads.